Rodgers gets the snap. Blitz is on. Rodgers scrambles He's left. Winds up rainbow. Cobb. He's got Cobb in the 10 to the yes! To the end zone. Touchdown. Throws the left sideline to intercepted. Down the sidelines. Tremont Williams into the clear. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in? In the end zone. It is caught for the win. Richard Rodgers. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. And there is your dagger. And now, Outside the Tundra with Josh Frysack. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to Outside the Tundra. Josh Fry, Sam here. Thank you for joining me on what is the inaugural episode of Outside the Tundra. So, you, if you are listening to this, you are among the first in what is hopefully a long and successful podcast here. I, a little bit about myself before we get into things here. Uh, Josh Frysam, I'm an aspiring sportscaster, and really there aren't too many Packers podcasts, at least ones that have lasted out there right now. And I currently have a NFL podcast where I cover the entire league. That's outside the gridiron, but there was no Packers podcast. And being a lifelong fan of the green and gold, I need to make sure that I brought some quality content to the cheeseheads. And so that's what we're doing here. So again, if you are tuning into this episode, thank you very much. You are here on the at the very beginning. Um, let's get into it here. We've, we've got a lot to get to in this first episode ever. We have a very late NFC Championship recap. I'm recording this on the Friday before Super Bowl Sunday here, February 5th. And we're going to break down the NFC Championship because I've had some time to cool down about it. I've still got a sour taste in my mouth. I don't know about you guys. I'm sure you do as well. Um, we're going to address some rumors that have been swirling regarding our defensive coordinator position. As everybody knows, Mike Pettin is now gone. If you didn't know that, well, spoiler alert. And then we're also going to get into a little bit of an off-season re- uh, preview here. where we're gonna. I'm just going to talk about some of the positions of need that I feel we need to address going into the free agency period and the draft period and what we might be able to do, some options that we might have it at each position here. But let's get into the championship recap here. And this was a tough one because a lot of the players and, and even Mike Matt LaFleur postgame, they said, <laughs> they said that it was a really tough pill to swallow. Everyone just kind of seemed shell-shocked, as, as, you would th- as you would hope they would be after any playoff loss. But... This team, it was just, there was something special about it. I don't know if it was Aaron Rodgers having the most fun that he's ever had. It seemed like, anyways, on a football field. I don't know if it was us being in the second year of the Matt LaFleur scheme and just really looking like we're flourishing. Or I don't know if it was the fact that guys like Zadarius Smith came back even seemingly even better and and all of our guys were just that much more experienced Jair Alexander and all these guys we just had so many personalities and everybody seemed to be gelling I don't know what exactly it was maybe it was all that and the winning on top of it but this team like I said just seemed special it seemed like it was destined for a championship and I know I'm not the only fan that felt that way and I guarantee you that entire team felt that way so when we saw them post-game and in the press conferences, they were shell-shocked. They didn't really know what to say. It was it was a tough pill to swallow. And at the end of the day, I don't think the better team won on Championship Sunday. And the reason being is because, really, we won the turnover battle. 
the way that that second half kind of shaked out, it, it kudos need to be given to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, no question. But the way that second half shaked out and the opportunities we had, opportunity after opportunity, man, and, and we just couldn't get it fully rolling. We couldn't get it in that third or fourth gear in the second half. And it just seemed like a grind all the way through. Again, kudos to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. But looking at the Green Bay Packers season up until this championship game, if you would have told me, hey, you're going to give Aaron Rodgers and this Packers offense an extra three opportunities on the offensive side of the ball, I would have said that's that's a W. That's a win. No question at all. But let's let's break this game down here. Let's actually get into the nitty gritty and. A lot of people want to blame this game on a specific player, or maybe it was Matt LaFleur's opting to kick a field goal instead of the touchdown. But like I said, a lot of people want to put Kevin King as the scapegoat in this game, and I don't really agree with that. Listen, he had a tough game, but at the end of the day, this game was lost on a series of mental errors by the whole entire team. Let's, let's, I, I've got four different mental errors written out here. First one being Aaron Rodgers with that late interception in the first half. And a lot of people are talking about Kevin King allowing that touchdown to Scotty Miller over his head to end the second to end the first half, pardon me. But that Aaron Rodgers late INT, that is what set it up. And Aaron Rodgers just can't make that throw in that situation. It's as simple as that. It was a mental error. He needed to get the ball down the field. I completely understand that. But the coverage that was being played, that seam route was not the throw on that play. It, it just wasn't. That was either need to be a throwaway or need to be a check down. I'm not sure. I understand where his head was in the moment because with 20 odd seconds left on the clock, and I think we might have had one timeout, it was a matter of that was the play that we kind of needed to push the ball downfield in order to keep us in the game for a for a field goal to end the first half. But instead, Aaron Rodgers forced it was maybe slightly inside, a little bit more inside than he wanted the throw to be, but I think it was an okay ball placement, and it was also a pass interference that was clearly missed, but at the end of the day, that throw just shouldn't have been made. So that led to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers flipping and, and going totally pedal down to the floor and being able to possibly come away with points to to close the first half, and it looked okay. We had six seconds left on the clock, and then <laughs> Kevin King, man. It, it, it There's no excuses to, to be made for that. That is the number one priority for a cornerback in that situation. If you are with six seconds left in the first half, you can just not allow anything over your head. I don't care if it's a 15, 20-yard gain, and you tackle them, and it's an easy chip shot field goal for them. It doesn't matter. Nothing over your head, man. That is That is... Number one priority. That was the second mental error. Then coming out of the second half, Aaron Jones on that drag route that he came uh, on, I believe it was on a third down on the first drive, on the opening drive of the second half. The catch was the catch was great. The drag was great. The throw was great. The problem was that not a lot of people noticed on that drag route is that if you watch any drag route ran in the NFL, that ball is going to be thrown just as the player is exiting the opposite hash. So Aaron, in Aaron Jones's case, he was coming from the right-hand side of the field, I believe is the strong side of the formation, and he ran that drag route, and just as he was getting 
across the left hash that ball was coming out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, as it should have been. Everything was good there. The problem is just a split second before Aaron Rodgers threw that ball, Aaron Jones, when you are running that drag route, you need to take a peek upfield really quickly just to see how much room you might have and what you might need to do if you catch that ball. In that case, Aaron Jones, if he had taken a peek up the field, he would have seen the safety coming down, ready to lay a lick on him. He would have caught the ball and he would have put on the brakes. And maybe he would have gotten tackled short of the first down marker. Maybe not. Maybe he would have been able to break a tackle and make a play. At the end of the day, he didn't take the peak that he needed to. That was a mental error as well. And he decided to catch the ball and he ran up the field and he got absolutely whacked and he fumbled the ball for the second time at that point in the game. And the fourth mental error that I have written down here after watching the game back is that we had two occasions of too many men on the field. When you talk about just putting your team in the best position to win, we saw Matt LaFleur screaming at Mike Pettin. And that's just inexcusable. When you're talking about an NFC Championship game, the Packers are the ones who do that to other people, man. We're The Packers, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers catches other teams with too many men on the field. We don't get caught with too many men on the field. And that's, I don't know if that had ever happened. I don't, I can't even remember us getting a too many men on the field call at any point this season, maybe once. But for it to happen two times in one game in the biggest game of the year, Mike Pettin's got to have his guys organized, got to have him in the right mindset and have him ready to go. And, and he just didn't there. That's going to fall back on the coaching staff. It was a mental error by somebody, whether it was... Mike Pettin not relaying in the information, whether it was one of the assistants not relaying, relaying the information, or whether it was one of the players that just was not thinking straight. There was a mental error there as well. So listen, we can blame Kevin King and use Kevin King as the scapegoat all we want, but at the end of the day, this game came down to a series of mental errors, and that is what lost us the game. One final thought on the mental errors side of thing. It's really interesting, and I can't help but think about what this game would have looked like had Will Redman caught that interception. You might remember that just a few plays before Kevin King allowed that Scotty Miller touchdown to end the first half, Will Redman had a chance at a pop fly, really, that Tom Brady threw up to the onto the boundaries. I think it was for Mike Evans. Jair Alexander was in coverage, and then Will Redmond was coming over top. Brady really missed this throw short and to the inside, and Will Redmond just dropped it. He just dropped it flat out, and that would have really just allowed us to take a knee into the half, regroup, and we would have been going down into the, into the first half, I believe, down four points, which would have been okay. That would have been fine. I can't help but think about what this game would have looked like in that case. But then, like I said already, got to give kudos to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. The fact that the Packers forced three turnovers in this game and the Buccaneers defense was able to stop us and not allow us to get fully going at any point in time. It, it wasn't even poor play on the Packers side of things. It was Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, and that entire front four really just starting to take over that game. Our offensive line probably had its worst game of the year. I'll say that. But those are two very, very good players at their respective position. An edge rusher on the opposite side of the ball there in Shaq Barry and JPP. And for us to really just not garner any kind of momentum in the second half after 
getting having all those opportunities those are just the momentum switches especially in championship games when you're talking about even one turnover never mind three if you're talking three this game should have been a blowout really this should have been a double digit win for the green bay packers but it wasn't now i want to also address before i go on to some players some notable players in this game i want to also address the matt lafleur decision to kick the field goal instead of going for the touchdown 209 left in the fourth quarter listen I can see it either way. Okay, I I understand people are frustrated. The easiest argument is you took it out of your MVP's hands, right? But at at the same time, I fully support Matt LaFleur in this decision. Okay, we you have to think about where the momentum was at that point in time. We had just failed on three separate occasions, three goal-to-go distances, and we were left with fourth and eight eight I believe fourth fourth and goal from the eight yard line like Matt LaFleur had said in his post-game press conference or it might have been in the um, season exit conference he said if it was fourth and goal from the five that would have been a lot different and I know a lot of people might think about well what's the difference between from the eight to the to the five if you give me second and goal from the five or first and goal from the eight I'm probably going to take that second and goal opportunity because there's so many more things that you can do from five yards out than you can from eight yards out if we're at that five yard line there's still the threat of us running on fourth down to be honest with you even though we probably wouldn't have I wouldn't expect us to run but the threat is still there from the eight yard line that threat is gone they know that we are throwing at that point and with the lack of success we had had up to that point just on that one drive I completely support Matt LaFleur and like everybody said anyways we had to stop Tampa Bay on the opposite side anyways. If we had gone and tied the game up with a touchdown and the two-point conversion, we still needed to stop the Buccaneers from going down and kicking a field goal to win the game. So in this scenario, with Matt LaFleur deciding to kick the field goal first, it was a matter of get the stop, and then, hey, we've got our MVP quarterback with probably a little bit more than a minute left and a couple timeouts, maybe a timeout left, to go drive the field and go win us this game and get us to the Super Bowl. From an analytics standpoint, I honestly think that Matt LaFleur made the right decision. And a lot of people might not agree with that though, but I can see it either way. I It's not that I am necessarily okay with the way things shook, shook out, but I will definitely still support Matt LaFleur's decision. I don't think it was a poor decision. It obviously is a decision that looks bad now that it didn't work, <laughs> but... Let, let's let's move on. Let's just move on to some of the players that I wanted to break down here. Okay, a couple of notable players that I wanted to talk about. Kenny Clark, I think he might have had his best game of the year in the NFC Championship game. Rashawn Gary, might have had his best game of the year in the champ- NFC Championship game. Christian Kirksey, might have had his best game in the NFC Championship game. Rashawn Gary is really coming along this year. He really came along. He He was able to defend the run fairly well. There was a play against Leonard Fournette that Leonard Fournette touchdown where everybody was kind of raving over where Leonard Fournette spun out of the backfield and then and then broke contain on Jair Alexander and then was able to get into the end zone listen that that play was set up because Rashawn Gary left his assignment Rashawn Gary that was another mental error by Rashawn Gary Rashawn Gary had contain on that play and he let his assignment go he broke into the inside and he broke contain and then we had Jair Alexander who also made the same mental error by not turning Leonard Fournette back to the inside of the field instead he tried to go in for the tackle and he missed on that tackle and Leonard Fournette went and scored so 
Besides that one play, though, Rashawn Gary has, was absolutely piping in this game. I loved watching him. And he's really, his, his surge in this season has really now brought Preston Smith's future into question here in Green Bay. And something that we'll touch on just shortly here. Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark, we all we were all expecting big things from him this year. And the production wasn't quite there. And I don't think anybody lost faith in Kenny Clark. It was just a matter of it was kind of frustrating. We kind of felt his frustration. We needed to get Kenny Clark in the backfield. We needed to get him some run stops, some ta- some tackles for a loss. In this game, he showed all that. He got a sack on Tom Brady. He was able to be destructive in the running game. And I think that the presence of Damon Snacks Harrison in there really helped him with that. And just really getting him some one-on-one looks. That was something that Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith talked about earlier in the year, if you remember. A lot of pundits were coming at the Packers because they weren't really generating a lot of pressure. They weren't getting into the backfield. But then Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, and Preston Smith sat down with Mike Pettin, the veterans of the defensive line, sat down with their defensive coordinator and said, listen, you're calling a certain play. I don't know what play that was. You're calling a certain scheme or you're dialing a certain thing up. That is not working for us right now. Let's go do this. We are comfortable with this and we feel this will work. And they did that the week before or the week entering the Philadelphia Eagles game. And if you remember, the Packers went crazy on Carson Wentz. And that might have been the game that uh, I believe drove Carson Wentz to the bench. Kenny Clark really, I think, just needed those one-on-one looks. I don't think it was a matter of he was failing to do his job by any means. it, it It was a more of... Kenny Clark was getting double teamed and just really wasn't being given a great opportunity to, to go out there and make a play. He's not really one of those true two-gap run stoppers where he's going to just absorb the double team, right? Sure, that's a part of his job, no question, but Kenny Clark is going to thrive in a one-on-one situation where he can go and shed a block and make a tackle for a loss, or he can go and blow by a guard, a sleeping guard or the center and and go and get in the backfield and get the sack so Kenny Clark hats off to him best game of the season Rashawn Gary him as well and then Christian Kirksey was flying around uh, on the field he was he made a couple of great plays in this game couple of great tackles so really proud of him Christian Kirksey we'll see if he's back on the team next year he is under contract but we'll see if he comes back and then I also want to talk on to talk about two two final guys here Jair Alexander man this is a guy that I watch week in week out and he has me shaking my head every single week he has me shaking my head not because he's doing poorly but because Jair Alexander is so dynamic and listen there's some great cornerbacks in this league man it's tough to make the argument and say one is better than the other but I'll tell you what Jair Alexander has made the his case this year for the best cornerback in the NFL he is up there with Jalen Ramsey he's up there with Xavier Howard Okay, and, and, and the rest of all those guys. Jai Alexander made his case for best cornerback in the NFL this year. And it really was great to see him get rewarded this this in the NFC Championship game. Because Jai Alexander didn't really, from a production standpoint, Jai Alexander, if you if you looked at the box score week in, week out, Jai Alexander wasn't the wasn't a top-tier cornerback. Because people weren't throwing at him. But now Tom Brady goes and tests the waters with him, and Jair Alexander gets two picks. And that's Jair, man. Great, great athlete, great, very responsible in the run game. He's just a dog. 
He's just a dog, and I'm glad he's on our team. So shout out to Jair Alexander. And finally, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. A lot of talk about him, just the inconsistencies this year. And, and he was. He was by far, <laughs> he probably was our most volatile player on the team this year. Just with between his, his inconsistencies with drops and whatnot, and then coming back with a 100-yard game and a, maybe a touchdown. And just Marquez, hats off to him because he clearly never gave up over the course of the season. His confidence never wavered over the course of the season. And that's something that Matt LaFleur touched on throughout the season. So shout out to MVS. I'm glad that we have him uh, on contract next year. I'm hoping that we can go ahead and get him involved in the offense, keep him involved in the offense while possibly adding more weapons. So this guy was leading the league in the leading the league in yards per catch. He was over a 20 yard per catch rate, which is if you don't know, elite that is that beyond elite. That is uh, those are numbers that you just don't really see being put up, <laughs> even from a guy like Tyree Kill, who is just not exclusively, but he that is what he's known for is is that deep shot. But Marquez Valdez Scantling really stepped up in this game, and uh, I really do not want his performance to go overlooked in in this NFC Championship game. Before we get to the offseason outlook here, I want to talk about Tyler Irvin in this offense, and that might be kind of random for a lot of people. I just think that this is going to kind of be a segue into our offseason plan here, but I think that we need to get faster on the offensive side of the ball. Our offense just looked so dynamic with Tyler Irvin. We ran a very similar offense with Tyler Irvin out of the out of the offense, except we ran it with a lot more with wide receivers and we ran it with tight ends doing that jet motion pre-snap. But when we had Tyler Irvin in our lineup, that is when our offense kind of was at a different level in terms of stretching the defense, just putting so much stress on the defense each and every play. When Tyler Irvin was back there, he was a threat to catch the ball and stretch the defense horizontally and and, and really get out there and, and get a big gain for us. Even though he didn't necessarily get the ball a lot of the time, Tyler Irvin was still just that threat, just his presence on the field was very much felt. And we tried to replace him with, with Tavon Austin, but... It just wasn't quite the same. I, I like the addition that we had with Tavon Austin, but it just wasn't quite the same without Tyler Irvin there. I think that we really need to address that in the draft or in free agency this year. Let's get another Tyler Irvin, maybe two of them. You know, let, let's get some of those speed guys. There's a guy named John Ross right now who is going to be a free agent this year who I know will not be commanding a lot of money and I think he would fit perfect in this offense playing that kind of role or just adding more speed that was a big problem that I had with our offense this year was just the fact that we have very big body receivers and aside from Devontae Adams there's not really anybody who in space I look at and say he's going to make him miss he's going to make the defender miss I just don't see that beside outside of Devontae Adams. Our guys are, we have Alan Lazard, who is much more of a possession receiver. He's not going to create too much separation. He's just going to make that big body catch. We have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is the speedster, but he's not necessarily your now more traditional speedster. He is a straight line runner, but he's not necessarily that agile Tyree kill. Or if you know Kadarius Tony coming up from the University of Florida in this year's draft, He's not necessarily that guy or a Mecole Hardman. But if we got a guy like John Ross who could fill in that role and just make some plays, just a guy to get the ball out to in space, another guy besides Devontae Adams, 
get the ball out to him in space, let him go make a play. I think that that would do our offense wonders. And listen, I wasn't one of the people who was ragging on the Packers for not getting a receiver this year. I felt that we did fine in the draft. I was very happy with our draft. Would a receiver have been nice in the first round? No question. Everybody loves the new weapons. Everybody loves new toys to play with. But I think we did fine this year without drafting a wide receiver. And a lot of people want to blame that, blame our loss in the NFC Championship on the fact that we didn't get a wide receiver. But we did fine. It, it wasn't That wasn't the make or break for us this year. And I just think that a guy like uh, bringing Tyler Irvin back maybe bringing Tavon Austin back, maybe going out and getting John Ross. There's a couple of other very dynamic little speedsters out there that we can acquire for cheap in free agency this year, or like I said, via the draft. I think that just needs to be one of our acquisitions this year, just to give another element to this offense for the defense to worry about. Our offense is just predicated on stressing the defense out with that jet motion stretching the defense horizontally all right enough of the enough of the nfc championship game let's move on to the offseason and i have to say guys this is my favorite part probably of the nfl schedule i love watching football as much as the next guy i love breaking down film i love i love all that stuff i love watching ball being played but watching a roster come together each and every offseason looking at how the money is spent why it's spent how the contracts are structured that is really where i just that is the best part possibly of an NFL season for me is just the see the period that we are in right here right now. Now, let's start with the number one priority here, and that's defensive coordinator. Let me break down. Looks like we have three guys that are left for us to go after getting their second or third interviews now for our defensive coordinator spot. Mike Pettin is no longer here. I already said that. And one thing on Mike Pettin. A lot of people were ragging on him because of the dime personnel package, which almost looked like our base defense at times that he came out in. I had no problem with that. This is a speedster league. I just finished rambling on for about two minutes there about how we need to add more speed and more um, dynamic to our offense. We come out in that dime personnel for a reason. We have great tacklers on our team. We have great run stoppers on our team. So coming out the dime personnel, even though even when we were we were seeing a little bit of a heavier personnel coming out on the offensive side of the ball that was okay for me but the problem that I did have with Mike Pettin's defense was the fact his situational defense I didn't like the fact that in a third and six third and seven I saw our cornerbacks playing 10 yards off the ball and sometimes that's a cornerback's choice sometimes that's the defensive coordinator's choice but I'll tell you what as the defensive coordinator you need to let your guys know we can't be we can't be doing that right there is some situational defense that I just did not agree with play calling wise by Mike Pettin. Otherwise, I actually was a fan of Mike Pettin. I thought that he was a very good defensive coordinator. I think that he will get a job no problem again in the NFL in very short time. But moving on to the current day right now, we have three guys that we are looking at. And the probably the fan favorite right now is Jim Leonard. He's the Wisconsin Badgers defensive coordinator. Good thing about Jim Leonard here. He's a Wisconsin boy through and through, man. Born in Wisconsin, coaches for the Badgers. And the Badgers right now are one of the best defenses in the nation each year with Leonard at the helm there. Some of you may remember Jim Leonard. He's only 38 years old, former NFL player. He actually played under Mike Pettin in Cleveland, which was awesome. And with the Badgers defense there, he runs a 3-4, which is really great because when we are bringing a defensive coordinator, I really did not want to bring in a guy who was going to run a 4-3 because our defense was built to run a 3-4 under Mike Pettin. So if we brought in a guy who ran a different scheme like that... That would not 
work for me personally, just because we are in a mode of win now mode and we do not need to be going through any more learning curves on our defensive side of the ball. Jim Leonard seems to be the odds on favor right now for the defensive coordinator position. He seems to be the fan favorite for the defensive coordinator position. I think he would be awesome. A hometown guy and the fans would love him. Number two is Joe Barry, 50 years old. He's the LA Chargers passing game coordinator. And LA Chargers, obviously, they've had uh, some really good cornerbacks there. They've been kind of like a cornerback breeding ground for the most part. We'll remember Casey Hayward went to the Chargers, right? Desmond King was with the Chargers. They had Chris Harris Jr. there with the, with the Chargers as well. They had a very, very talented secondary. They also have Derwin James back there, Nasir Adderley. So Joe Barry was working with a lot of different talent on the defensive side of the ball and as the passing game coordinator, uh, really flourished in that coordinator position. 50 years old, he's been around the NFL for quite some time, also runs that 3-4 scheme. Now, the problem I have with Joe Barry, and I don't want to say in a super negative way to say that I, I wouldn't be happy if he was hired as a defensive coordinator, but he has had two previous stints as defensive coordinator with the Lions in 2007 to 2008, and then the football team, Washington football team, from 15 to 16. And in both scenarios, he wasn't very successful. So he's had two kicks at the can at this job that he's applying for and hasn't really done well. But then he, in a assistant and like a coordinator position, he has done okay. So I think that maybe he's more just built for a coordinator position. Not my first pick for the defensive coordinator position, especially for a team that, again, is in a win-now mode. We need a guy who's going to come in with some a proven record and, and, and a guy that we are going to be able to trust here. So I'm, I don't know if Joe Barry is necessarily my favorite here. And our final guy that we're looking at is, is Giro Ivero, and he's the Los Angeles Rams safeties coach. 40 years old, uh, runs a 3-4 defense as well. So all three of these guys are running a 3-4 defense. The biggest thing with Giro Ivero, some of you may remember, he was with the Packers back in 2016 under Dom Capers. He was what they call the quality control coach. So as a quality control coach, he's maybe breaking down film. He's up in the press box during games, and he's counting how many times an offense comes out in 11 personnel or 12 personnel when they're running that, when they're running a certain play, when they're coming out in a certain personnel, trying to pick up on tendencies. And he runs a paper down at halftime to the locker room to Dom Capers and, and company and says, hey, these are what I found over the course of the game. He's kind of that eye in the sky, that extra helper. That's what he was with the, in the, with the Packers in 2016. And now he's moved over to LA Rams. He actually worked with Matt LaFleur back in 2017, I believe, when they, were, when they came over with Sean McVay uh, as that new coaching staff in, in, the, in Los Angeles. So has ties not only with the Packers, but also with Matt LaFleur, Ajiro Averro, Actually, I think needs to be the odds-on favorite for this job. I think that Jim Leonard is the fan favorite, but I think that Ajiro Averro would be the actual favorite for this job, personally, just based on what I, I finished saying there. So, moving on from that, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we get a decision here, maybe even by Monday, the Monday after Super Bowl, but we will see what happens with these guys I'm, I'm really looking forward to it that's a that's an exciting time for us especially after a lot of people weren't very satisfied with the job Mike Petten did so it's kind of a fresh start and uh, I think it's something that we need to look forward to final thing that we're going to talk about today on today's inaugural episode here the needs to address here 
This is maybe what a lot of you guys were waiting for here is, is, is our off-season preview. Okay, I'll rattle off some of the, the positions here. Starting with offensive tackle, I honestly think this is going to be our first-round draft pick as a, as a tackle. There's a lot of very quality offensive tackles in this draft, and not a lot of people are talking about them. There might be six, seven, eight, nine offensive tackles being taken in the first round of this draft. Yes, that is how deep this, this position group is, and there's a lot of teams that need offensive tackles, including the Packers. Our offensive line was spectacular this year. Don't get me wrong. They were phenomenal. But Rick Wagner at the right tackle position, especially with the injuries that if any, any injuries get suffered, whatnot, we need to invest in a right tackle for our future. We've invested in every other position on the offensive line for our future. The right tackle is kind of that last one where it's, if we're going to look at it and point out a hole, it's going to be that right tackle spot. I think we need to go find someone to fill in that spot. Second need, I would say, is our linebacker. I like what we have in Chris Barnes. There's a couple of other guys on our roster that I also like as well, but our linebackers are a clear hole on our defensive side of the ball. So I think that's something that we need to address maybe on day two or maybe day three of the draft. Cornerback is another one. Kevin King might be departing. Chandon Sullivan's also a free agent, a pending free agent. We're going to need to address the cornerback on day one or day two of this draft. Interior defensive lineman, get Kenny Clark some help. I just finished saying he flourished. He really did start to come alive when Snacks Harrison came into the picture. Get Kenny Clark some help on the inside, whether it be through free agency or whether it be through the draft. That is a neat, that is an area that we definitely, definitely need to address. A wide receiver would be great, like I just finished saying, another, whether it be through free agency or the draft, getting us a guy who maybe just possesses that next gear that we're kind of missing, that that dynamic to him, that that agility to him. That ability to create space um, and just go out there and make a make a great play, that it might be what this offense, the only piece that this offense is missing at this point. Tight end, and this is a position that not a lot of people are thinking about. Josiah DeGuara, a lot of people forgot about him, tore his ACL in the early goings of the season. Uh, we also had Jace Sternberger, who we recently drafted, but Jace hasn't really panned out too, too well so far. And then we had Robert Bobby Tanyan coming through with a breakout year this year, but he's a free agent. So after like a 10 touchdown season, who knows what Bobby Tunyon's going to be requesting? Maybe we don't get him back. Maybe he comes back on a team-friendly deal knowing that we have Aaron Rodgers here. We have uh, a, a lot of pieces sticking around and we are going to have a shot to go back to the NFC Championship and hopefully the Super Bowl next year. Maybe Bobby Tunyon comes back on a team-friendly deal, but if he departs, then we're going to need to address that position. And finally, the edge rusher position. Preston Smith, like I finished saying earlier, Rashawn Gary coming along this year in his second year. Preston Smith did not have a good year this year, guys. He didn't. It, 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 was, it hurt to watch at times, and it was very disappointing. Preston Smith comes in his first year with the Packers, puts up a 12-sack season, right? Was very disruptive in the backfield. The thing is, is that when Preston Smith was acquired by the Green Bay Packers, I looked and I saw Zadarius Smith. I said, that's our guy who can get after the quarterback. That's our that's our pass rusher. Preston Smith, when he came in, he wasn't a pass rusher to me. He, he was a run-stuffing guy. He was our guy who was going to be able to set the edge, responsible in the run game. But the fact that he was able to also get after the quarterback... 12 sacks in last year that was awesome so I think he kind of set the bar very high for himself in terms of the kind of production we would expect out of him but Preston Smith isn't a guy that necessarily is going to fill up a stat sheet he never has been right before getting to Green Bay his highest sack total was eight 
when he was with with Washington. Preston Smith was going to be a guy who's going to be very responsible in the run game, and that's what I was hoping out of him. So this season, when he wasn't getting after the quarterback, I wasn't too upset with it, to be honest with you. But the problem came when I saw him getting very, very irresponsible in the run game. He wasn't setting the edge. He was out of position, was not maintaining gap integrity on his rushes either. Preston Smith just was, he was looking sluggish, honestly, at a lot of times as well. He looked almost like he's overweight, just looked like he was overshaped, wasn't really playing hard either. So he kind of came on in, in, in the playoffs a little bit. He started to pick up some pick up some steam, but his inconsistency at a very important position for us is, is very concerning. And we can actually, with the cap being so low next year, actually decreasing, we're going to, we look like we're going to be at about $20 million in the red entering the off season here. Preston Smith is an expendable piece at this point. He's, he can save us some money on the cap. And after this season, listen, he would probably be a, a fairly coveted piece in free on the free agent market, but with the production that he showed this year, I mean, it, it just might be one of those things where we move on from him. And then we would then need to go out in free agency or in the draft and address that edge rusher position as well to add to that depth behind Rashawn Gary and Zadarius Smith. That's just an idea to keep in mind here. I'm not saying Preston Smith is going anywhere, but I'm just letting you guys know that Preston Smith, I view him as an expendable piece now at this point after the season that he had. Dean Lowry as well, got signed to that nice extension, hasn't really played up to it. Um, that's more on the interior, that's the defensive end point, but, but Dean Lowry is another name that maybe he's expendable as well, maybe we can cut him. But I'll tell you what, above all of these guys, I know I just finished mentioning all of these positions, above all of these guys, our number one priority in the offseason, after we go and get a defensive coordinator, of course, is Corey, Lee, Corey Lindsley. Corey Lindsley, uh, our longtime center, our great center, we need to bring him back, man. Like, we need to keep not only this offensive line together, but the center position is so, so crucial to have that shored up. And I'll be honest, Corey Lindsley, I, I want him with all my heart to come back, but I don't know if I see it happening. I don't know if I see it happening. And, and I honestly, if I had to pencil him in for a team right now, I would say he goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. They have a need there. That offensive line is awful. They have cap space to pay him a lot of money, which he absolutely deserves. And if you did not know, Corey Lindsley is an Ohio native. So it really just makes sense for Corey Lindsley <laughs> to sign in his own backyard for a lot of money for a team that is starting to trend upwards with Joe Burrow. And he would bring a lot of very needed experience to that Bengals club. So if I had to pencil Corey Lindsley in somewhere, be the Bengals. But in saying that, the Packers really need to do whatever they can to retain him. Now, last thing I want to discuss is if Corey Lindsley doesn't come back. What if Corey Lindsley isn't, isn't a Packer next year? What are our options? Well, you may remember that we have a guy named Elton Jenkins who has played every single position on the football field apparently in his in his football career might have played quarterback at some point or another Elton Jenkins has been phenomenal and he has the ability to shift over to center but I would rather he don't don't shift over to center so our options are this in in my opinion we go and keep Elton Jenkins at guard and we have Billy Turner over at the other guard along with David Bakhtiari at left tackle and then Rick Wagner at tackle at the other tackle. And then we could have 
Lucas Patrick slide to the center position. And Lucas Patrick, if you do not remember, Lucas Patrick has also played some center for us in the past. He's played some limited reps at, at center, but he is more than capable to play. Now, the other option that we have as well is that we can move Elton Jenkins to center. Uh, we can move, or we can keep Elton Jenkins even at the guard position still. We can move Billy Turner over to the right tackle spot. We also have John Runyon who is probably ready to be submitted into this lineup here. He seemed like he he seems like he's ready to go. So we can go David Bakhtiari at left tackle, John Runyon at at Elton Jenkins, pardon me, at left guard. Then we can go Lucas Patrick maybe at at center, John Runyon at right guard, and then Billy Turner at right tackle, leaving Lucas Patrick as kind of our sixth lineman, or Rick Rick Wagner as well. We would still have very good depth on that side. Either way you want to spin it, I think that we need to go and at least get a center in free agency or the draft this year, even if they don't actually play for us. Okay, it, it kind of sucks that we have all these other holes on our team right now because I would say in the first round, let's just go and address the center position. Kind of like the New Orleans Saints did, if you remember. The Saints lost Max, Max Unger back in, I think it was 2018, the 2018 offseason. Well, they just went out in the first round. They, gra- they drafted Cesar Ruiz. And Cesar Ruiz immediately was a plug-and-play at the center position, and he's been doing great. But the Saints were able to do that because they didn't really have any other needs to fill. They, didn't, they At least on paper, they were a very established team. So Cesar Ruiz was just a plug-and-play. But the Packers don't really have the luxury of doing that. So I think that a center needs to be on our priority list on day two or three. There was that Quinton Mernes. I, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but he's from Wisconsin Whitewater, that center, and he was... He's or an interior offensive lineman, I believe, is what they're classifying him as. But he has center experience, a lot of center experience. And this guy's just an animal. He's just he was is just a mauler. I don't know if he would quite fit within our scheme, our zone blocking scheme. But he would maybe be a little bit more suited for a power run game. But uh, he's still a mauler nonetheless, and he seems like he's a decent athlete. But maybe who knows? Maybe he's a guy that we go after on day two. Here, I think that he'll go in the second round, maybe the third round of the draft. But that's a guy to maybe keep an eye on and like I said I think it's just a matter of going going ahead and addressing the center position in some way shape or form whether it is a guy who's going to come in an immediate immediately play or not that doesn't really that's not really a concern of mine because we do have so much flexibility on our offensive line already it's almost a more a matter of depth at this point that we need to to maintain especially if Corey Lindsley is leaving us. So listen, guys, I hope Corey Lindsley comes back, but we do need to have a plan in place in case he does not come back. And I think that we will be okay somewhat if he does not come back. We will figure it out. That would be a big loss for us, though, I I will say that. And above anybody else in our free agent class right now, Aaron Jones or Shannon Sullivan, Jamal Williams, Kevin King, all those guys, I think that Corey Lindsley is just, that is the top guy. That is the guy that we need to make sure that we are signing. If we sign Aaron Jones, I love Aaron Jones, but if we sign Aaron Jones, we don't sign Corey Lindsley, I'm going to be very frustrated. In saying that, I think that's going to do it for us on today's episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed this this inaugural episode. I'm going to make sure that we are working to get uh, an episode out a week each week, maybe towards the end of the end of the week. And I'm really going to try and get some guests on here as well. Today it was just me, but definitely going to try and get some guests on to, to chop it up about the Packers here. Um, if you are not following me on Twitter yet, follow at Outside Tundra. 
outside tundra and uh, we will make sure that you are kept updated on latest packers news and i'm also giving my opinions on a daily basis on different things surrounding the packers so our next episode will probably be diving a little bit more into the off-season needs and maybe the financial aspect of some of these players i'm going to make sure that we don't just take a general dive uh, into the team i'm going to make sure that we're at least focusing in on certain players and maybe some ramifications if we were to lose them and stuff like that so i got some good things planned for us that's going to do it for us on the inaugural episode of outside the tundra i'm josh fry sam see you guys next time